Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.46 a.m. Central. No, it's Pacific Daylight Time. It is August the 23rd, 2022. This is episode 605 of Bitcoin. And we're going to begin with food today. Uh, We certainly are. But before we do that, I want to remind you, you can support the show by doing Podcasting 2.0. My favorite app is Fountain. It just is. No, they are not a sponsor. I don't have sponsors of the show. I just, when I mention somebody, it's because I actually use the product. And the product that Fountain App is giving is ballers. Uh, It just is. It's, it's, I'm not even going to go through all the stuff that it can do. What it does do well is be a podcasting. It's a podcatcher and it's a good one. It does have a few bugs, okay? It's new. It's I think essentially it's still in beta. But the best thing that you can do to support the show is you get it, and with it, you get a Lightning Wallet. And if you put Satoshis in that wallet, you can stream me Satoshis, or you can do Boostagrams. What's a Boostagram? Well, if you wanted to actually, you know, do, say, um, let's see, Uh, give me like a boost of like, I don't know, let's say 50 sats, right? And you were to do that, um, you get the ability to send a message along with it. And well, I have some. Pitar, thank you, Pitar, for the 50,000 sats. He says, welcome back. Yeah, it's good to be back, man. I was getting really freaking antsy. I mean, really antsy about not doing the show. And it's going to take me a long time to to claw my way back to the listenership that I had because that's what happens when you go away. You stop doing shit for two months. Yeah, I, yeah, you're you're going to take a hit. And I took a definite hit. Oh, I got a striper boost. Striper, which is the Christian band from the 80s. Anyway, 7,777 sats from letter 6173 says, glad you're back. You were missed. I got 5,000 sats from NW says, welcome back. And Diamond Hands gave me 250 sats again with the message, welcome back. Those are boostograms. I'm getting them through the Fountain app. Technically, any boost, anything that you can send a boost to, like to a podcast, I potentially have the ability to get those messages. I'm not sure right now if I'm getting all those messages through Fountain App or if I'm only getting the Fountain App messages. I think it's the latter. I really do. Uh, there's a couple of things that I can get that I, from what I understand from Adam Curry and his crew, that will show me all the boostograms from all the podcatcher applications and anything that has anything to do with podcasting 2.0. But if you want to support the show, dude, that's the way to do it. I love boostograms. You can also stream me sats. So as I'm delivering you these dulcet tones, you can deliver me those dulcet sats. Now, food. This is from Food Safety News. Mind you, this is from last summer, not this summer, last summer, July 23rd, 2021, Dan Flynn writing for, again, Food Safety News. Judge orders Amos Miller to pay $250,000 fine within 30 days or risk jail. Why am I even talking about food? This is a Bitcoin podcast. Well, if you've been under a rock, uh, then you probably don't know that a lot of Bitcoiners are have become 
increasingly interested in nutrition, food, farming, and ranching, i.e. beef initiative with my good friend, Modern T-Man on Twitter, also known as Texas Slim. These things go hand in hand because Bitcoin is uncovering all the crap that we've been lied to about for decades. And as more and more of this garbage becomes uncovered because of the existence of sound money, Bitcoiners especially will be at the forefront of digging into that and uncovering it. And right now we're really uncovering food, nutrition, how it impacts our health. So here we go. That's why. Federal Judge Edward G. Smith today signed a 39-page order imposing sanctions on Amos Miller and Miller's Organic Farm, including a $250,000 fine and other penalties. Quote, in order to affect defendants' future compliance by making them aware of the seriousness, oh my God, the seriousness of their violations and the consequences of future violations, defendants are ordered to pay the United States within 30 days of the date of entry of this order and pursuant to written instructions that the United States will provide to defendants a fine of $250,000 or face further monetary and other penalties, possibly including imprisonment of Amos Miller, the order says. Yeah, that's, that's violence, people, if you haven't figured that out yet. Smith also ordered Miller to reimburse the USDA's Food Safety and Inspection Service, FSIS, for its enforcement costs totaling $14,436.26. Miller has 60 days to make the reimbursement further. Miller and Miller's Organic Farm are ordered not to slaughter any amenable animals in violation of the order or a $25,000 per day fine will be immediately imposed by the court. Miller is also to, quote, cease and desist all amenable meat and poultry related retail operations except to liquidate existing inventories unless and until Miller's can demonstrate compliance with federal and Commonwealth laws, quote, for each day that Miller's conducts such retail operations in violation of law and without a Commonwealth of Pennsylvania license, defendants shall be ordered to pay a fine of $1,500, the order continues. Within, I'm sorry, with 14 days, Miller must also place statements pre-approved by FSIS on his websites explaining to his members and customers that A, the court has ruled that Miller's has violated the court's injunction order and constant decree. Quote, for each day after 14 days following the entry date of this order and until FSIS verifies that Miller's has liquidated its existing inventory of amenable products, that such a statement does not appear on Miller's website, its associate's website, and Miller's Facebook page. Defendants shall be ordered to pay a fine of $1,500. Jesus. The court on June the 16th, 2021, found Miller in contempt of the injunction order and consent decree following an in-person show cause hearing. Miller was shown to have had acknowledged of those orders and their contents and that he disobeyed the orders. <gasps> Civil disobedience. <clears throat> the current action against Miller goes back five years when FSIS asked the court to enforce a USDA subpoena was brought against Miller for his denial of access to his records and his meat and poultry facilities. Yeah, he wouldn't let him in. Later, in two 2017 letters, FSIS warned Miller and Miller's Organic Farm that they were still violating federal inspection, labeling and FSIS right of access requirements in the Federal Meat Inspection Act. With a 2019 injunction order, the court granted summary judgment in favor of the United States and entered the request permanent injunctive relief in joining defendants from committing continuing violations of the acts. Among the court's findings were these. Listen close, people. A. Amos Miller and his wife owned and operated Miller's, an unincorporated business located at address Bird in Hand, Pennsylvania. I said address because I'm not going to read the actual address. B. At its farm site, Miller's had been slaughtering livestock or poultry and then preparing, processing, storing, and or distributing meat, meat food products, and poultry products. 
Miller's sold its meat, meat food products, and poultry products that are subject to the acts known as amenable products for commercial purposes and for human consumption to consumers in Pennsylvania and throughout the United States. D, federal inspection is required at such an establishment that slaughters livestock and or poultry and then prepares or processes amenable meat, meat food products or poultry products that are capable of use as human food for interstate or foreign commerce unless the establishment qualifies for an exemption from federal inspection. (laughs) Inspection, sorry. E, Miller's has been operating its meat and poultry business without a USDA FSIS federal grant of inspection and, with rare exception, without taking its livestock and poultry for slaughter and processing to any federally inspected facility. And F, defendants had not yet changed Miller's business model to attempt to qualify for an exemption from federal inspection under the acts or any part of their operations. Okay, all that means is that this this should kind of open your eyes as to the control with which the federal government in the United States has over the food supply and every aspect of it, right? So here's the thing. Those last two bits that talk about getting a a federal exemption from inspection, bullshit. They're never going to give anybody an exemption from federal inspection. What that does is it enables proponents of the United States government to say, see, he hasn't even applied for a federal exemption. Amos Miller hasn't applied for a fucking federal inspection because he knows he's not going to get it. Of course, he certainly wouldn't get it now. But I guarantee you, Amos Miller knew, even before all this shit happened, that he was never going to get a grant for federal inspection exemption. It is a carrot on a stick. They present that as a possibility, but it's impossible. You're never going to be exempt from federal inspection. The only thing people can do is do what Amos Miller has done. Basically, just give the finger to the federal government. Is he going to get in trouble? Yeah. Now, I don't know what's happened to Amos Miller since, because again, this was last year, but these problems persist all over the place. And this is one of the things that Texas Slim, starting the Beef Initiative, and now he's got Matt O'Dell in cahoots with him for the Nashville Beef Initiative. I'm up here in Eastern Washington State, and the closest guy to me that's a rancher raises freaking Wagyu meat. He, he got the Japanese genetics and he's raising, he's kind of crossed them with cows that are more stable in these types of environments rather than being over in Japan. But the quality of his meat, I can't, I, I haven't tasted it, but visual inspection, it looks just as marbled as any Wagyu meat I've ever seen. I'm trying to get a hold of him to give me a tour, get him on the phone, but I, you know, I'm still settling in, guys. You got to give me some time. But I, I, there's so much meat and good food up here. It's, it's very different than some of the things that Texas Slim has talked about, where he was talking about going from Texas to Tennessee, and essentially he was driving through a food desert. The, the food and the type of food and the type of attitudes that go to far, at least farming vegetables and whatnot up here, completely different. I'll be bringing you more news about that as I get more settled in. But let's get back to this Amos Miller shit. <clears throat> it should be noticed that Amos Miller is Amish. He's Amish, which means that these guys are the guys that don't get vaccinated, that don't, they don't have television sets. They do use cell phones, though. So for those people that think that Amish people don't, you know, that they live without electricity, that's that's a lie. Okay. yes, Amish people use technology. How do I know? Because they were driving horse drawn carriages. Wheel and axle is a technology. It just doesn't happen to be electrified. They've always used technology. A shovel is technology. They have tractors. They do a lot of shit by hand, but they use mechanized stuff, too. But what they don't want is people getting into their business. And Amos Miller just wants to produce good, clean food, 
and provide it to the people around him. And in some cases, I guess, sell it online, which is probably where he got in trouble because he was getting across interstate lines. I don't know what's happened to Amos at this point. If you do know, by God, send me a link through Boostagram, Podcasting 2.0. Let me tell you the trouble that I may have gotten into when I tweeted all this shit out last night. <laughs> I'm shadow banned. I was getting shadow banned, however, but after a series of tweets last night, which I screened or uh, uh, basically copied all of the allegations in that federal indictment against Amos Miller and put it out as a tweet thread, people started getting back to me with a screenshot of that tweet thread and every single one of them was hidden by Twitter. So I go over again. So I've been doing this several times this week. I go over to uh, shadow band. What is it? You is a, let me see if I can get it up, up, up again. So you know what it is. Cause, uh, the first shadow band site, uh, got taken down. I think it was an injunction by Twitter. Uh, but this one is shadow band dot Y U Z U R I S A dot com. That's you Zarisa, you Zarisa. Uh, and you can go put in your Twitter handle and see if you're shadow banned. And sure enough, I have a search suggestion ban on my account. I have a full search ban on my account and I am ghost banned on my account. I mean, I'm as shadow banned as you get. And the, when I did these first, it was, I got, I uh, was banned for, or was, I had a search suggestion ban and then I had a search ban, but they couldn't tell if I was ghost banned. But after last night's tweet of this Amos Miller story, I got ghost banned. I, I have no idea. I have no idea if that's why or if it's something else. In either event, I got shadow banned so nobody could actually see that tweet thread that I sent out last night about this Amos Miller story. So that's why I started off the show today with that. All right. Shall we move on? Shall we? Let's... Let's let's move on and go to NFT lending protocol. Ben Dow proposes emergency changes amid credit crisis. This is from Cointelegraph. Zhu Wan Sun is writing it. And this is a continuation of what I brought you yesterday. Apparently, they've made a decision as to how they want to proceed. And oh boy, if you're an NFT holder that has anything to do with Ben Dow, yeah, that was a bad, you're going to have a bad time on Monday. Developers of decentralized non-fungible tokens borrowing and lending protocol Bendow proposed new emergency measures in an attempt to stabilize the ecosystem. The same day, it was revealed that the project had just as little as 15 wrapped Ether worth $23,700 to pay back lenders. Approximately 15,000 ETH was lent using the mechanism. To save the protocol from a credit crisis, the Ben Dow dev team suggested that the liquidation threshold for collateral would be constrained to 70% of the loan value, which was down from 85%. Oh, good news. Next, the auction period for NFTs on its platform would be reduced from 48 hours to four hours. Then the requirement for the minimum bid price of NFTs on Bendow to be pegged at 95% of the floor price on popular digital collectibles trading platform OpenSea would be removed. Interest rates on loans are to be reset from the current 100% to 20%. Finally, the Bendow treasury would be empowered to cover the bad debts and use revenue, whatever the hell that means. The collapsing floor prices of NFTs in the bear market, even among reputable collections, have placed many NFTs in danger of liquidation as interest rates are driven to abnormal levels. As interest rates on debt-secured NFTs have skyrocketed to nearly 100%, some users may be finding it more economical to simply let go of their digital collectibles, which are also decreasing in value, instead of paying back the debt resulting in bad loans. Thirdly, NFT markets are not as liquid as coins or token markets, meaning there actually may not be bids during an NFT's liquidation process, further adding to the death spiral. Bendow was regarded as a blue chip NFT borrowing and lending platform 
before credit issues began. The vote for the current proposal will last for 24 hours and has passed the required quorum of 47 million VE bend with 99.23% in favor. I am assuming VE bend is their token or their governance token that they use for voting. Uh, yeah, this is just bad. And I guarantee you they'll change it again. They'll change it again when they figure out that that's not enough. When you lend out 15,000 ether and all you've got left is 15, yeah, you're not avoiding a credit collapse. You're not going to avoid it. There's no amount of voting. You Maybe they should vote harder because in my opinion, no amount of voting is going to get you out of this shit. Now, that's the probably the last that I'll do Bendy unless they do something really damn silly. Um, <clears throat> or Bendy, Ben Dow. Now, the next step to widespread Bitcoin adoption are community banks. Community banks, not big banks, not credit unions, not even small banks, but really small banks, community banks. This is going to come out of Bitcoin Magazine and it's written by Leo Weiss. Over the years, Bitcoin has continually proven itself as a robust asset with a predictable supply that can be swiftly transferred instantly for a low fee over the Lightning Network. Despite its inflationary shortcomings, the U.S. dollar remains in strong demand. Having lost 90% of its purchasing power since the 1950s, it remains an attractive store of value and unit of account. In times of small profit margins, living paycheck to paycheck, in a world where goods, rent, and wages are priced in dollars, going 100% into Bitcoin is fairly risky. The world has currently chosen the dollar as the global reserve currency. As long as Bitcoin remains volatile, it is less attractive than the dollar for businesses. And sorry, an ad just popped up and destroyed where I was in my reading. Hold on. In times of small profit margins, living paycheck to paycheck in a world where goods and rent and wages are priced in dollars going 100% into Bitcoin is risky. The world has currently chosen the dollar as the global reserve currency. As long as Bitcoin remains highly volatile, it is less attractive than the dollar for businesses and individuals in many circumstances, especially in places where instant conversion is cumbersome and or expensive. Despite its attraction, the U.S. dollar has noticeable downsides in practice. In El Salvador, where only one-third of the population has access to a bank account, it can be difficult to receive, store, and transact with digital U.S. dollars. In Nigeria or Argentina, official exchange rates are unfavorably set, pushing savers into gray markets. Conflict areas like Ukraine are partially cut off from the international settlement systems. Thankfully, Bitcoinizing the dollar with Taro provides an alternative. Taro is a new protocol, protocol for assets on Bitcoin and Lightning proposed in April 2022 by, well, I can't pronounce his name. It's Roast Beef, CTO of Lightning Labs. The company explained a mechanism through which anybody can mint arbitrary assets on the Bitcoin blockchain and shared their vision for a stablecoin use case that can be instantly transacted over the Lightning network and held non-custodially in Lightning nodes and wallets. Analogous to euro dollars or offshore dollars, we may refer to dollars held on the Bitcoin blockchain as Bitcoin dollars. Okay, I kind of... I. That kind of made me a little queasy. Let's continue. Such Bitcoin dollars uh, are currently issued by large, often opaque institutions, some of them associated with cryptocurrency exchanges. While the first widely used stablecoin was anchored to the Bitcoin blockchain, stablecoins today often reside on alternative blockchains and are used to enter and exit trading positions in Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies or for settlement in arbitrage trades. In some contexts, they act as savings and payment vehicles. With the Tarot protocol, protocol so-called Bitcoin dollars can be introduced into a Lightning Network payment channel without additional blockchain footprint. This results in two or more parallel channels, one with BTC and the other with Tarot assets anchored in the same UTXO. Alongside Bitcoin dollars in the form of bank deposits or stablecoins, we may also see other types of assets issued on tarot, local fiat currencies foremost. It may appear attractive to issue bonds, vouchers, debt instruments, or claims to commodities like oil and gold. 
This allows the owner of a Lightning wallet to choose whether to receive payments in BTC or some tarot asset while issuing a regular Lightning invoice. The payer is not required to hold the same tarot asset or any tarot asset at all. The payer also at no point knows what asset the payee ultimately opts to hold in their wallet. This works through edge nodes which swap an incoming BTC, sorry, an incoming Bitcoin HTLC hash time lock contract for an outgoing tarot HTLC or the other way around. These edge nodes, like any other routing nodes in the Lightning Network, charge a routing fee covering capital cost, routing cost, and expected volatility. They will agree on their reference rates for such swaps with their peers and might be willing to lock in rates for short invoice expiration windows. This happens instantly and without anyone taking on counterparty risk or custody at any point. Today, we observe strong network effects in payments and settlement systems. We are only willing to accept something as payment that we can easily spend, and so it is no surprise that cryptocurrency exchanges primarily offer only two stablecoins, and that's Tether and USDC. By swapping assets to Bitcoin via HTLCs, Taro removes friction and counterparty risk while retaining access to the overall Lightning Network, making it feasible for smaller stablecoins to be used for savings and payments. Concurrently, Taro strengthens the network effects of the Lightning Network by increasing routing activity, creating demand for routing nodes and capital while bootstrapping the existing liquidity on the network to enable users to not only pay with any asset, but also have the payment routed through Bitcoin. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Hold on, yet another interruption. Uh, I swear, I'm going to need an on-air sign for my phone that people that want to call me go, oh, he's on air. Sorry, sorry for the interruption. Let's continue. The rise of community banks. Inspired by the success of Bitcoin Beach in El Salvador, community banks are beginning to spring up around the world in an attempt to connect remote and underbanked communities to the world of digital finance via the Lightning Network. In some cases, these community banks are attractive because they give access to dollars, while in others, they allow people to transact online without friction. Tarot has the potential to significantly reduce the technological and logistical barriers for such community banks to operate while enabling their community to instantly connect with suppliers, clients, and financial services from all over the world. Step one, instead of using internal ledgers to keep track of clients' deposits and withdrawals, a community bank may opt to issue their own stablecoin for each deposit and destroy it upon redemption for cash or Bitcoin. By building the core of their banking infrastructure on open source and battle-tested software, deposits remain more easily auditable and are difficult to tamper with. Step two, by opting for an open protocol, community banks are able to piggyback on existing software infrastructure such as nodes, wallets, payment processors, or liquidity markets. A community bank does not need to develop its own wallet. It can simply open channels with Tarot-enabled wallets readily found in the Google and Apple app stores. It does not need to provide merchants with custom-built tools as long as self-hosted payment processors like BTC Pay Server or LN Bits are configured to handle Tarot assets. Some community banks may not even open such channels to their customers themselves or instead rely on non-custodial liquidity markets or lightning service providers to do so. Step 3. Once an individual or business has a channel open to their wallet or node with enough incoming capacity in the tarot asset of their choice, they can invoice others for their work, services, or goods. Anybody around the world is able to instantly pay this invoice from their own wallet, have it routed through Bitcoin to the edge node, which then swaps the payment amount to the desired destination asset. All of this occurs instantly and without anybody taking custody over the funds. On the contrary, community banks, sorry, on the contrary, community bank clients are able to pay any Lightning invoice directly from the dollar balance of their mobile wallet. They don't need to take on volatility risk or rely on a custodial counterparty beyond the stablecoin issuer, their community bank. Such a community bank does not need to maintain lightning nodes themselves. I'm going to, an aside here, they should. It's dead simple to do it. Why not? Take custody of your own stuff. 
Just saying. Continuing. Anybody can act as an edge node to their local or remote community and compete over customers and transaction volume in the same way they might run a Lightning Network routing node today. The vision of being able to receive any currency or asset while transacting using the global open source and permissionless Bitcoin network is appealing. It will make it easy to digitize or Bitcoinize local dollar reserves, enabling billions to hold the asset of their choice while transacting with it digitally and cheaply. As Tarot routes transactions through Bitcoin, it allows for small players in the stablecoin market to benefit from and strengthen the network effects of the Lightning Network. This provides people access to Bitcoin as a payment network and long-term savings tool without the risk of exposing users to short-term volatility. It greatly increases the number of potential merchants and users on the Lightning Network and establishes Bitcoin as the backbone and medium of exchange of a truly global and accessible reserve currency. So there you go. The use of Tarot to be able to leverage Bitcoin and the Bitcoin network to provide liquidity specifically to provide liquidity between differing assets. And here's where the bitch fest comes in. And you see, if you, if you're, if you're on Twitter or you're talking, like listening to like, you know, Bitcoin web uh, uh, podcasts, you've heard people kind of like say the following, do we need stable coins on lightning? When they say that, this is the shit that they're talking about. They're talking about tarot and what tarot enables. I, as usual, take no sides. If I have a need to use tarot and a different asset than Bitcoin, then I'll do it. But honestly, I don't, I I just don't see the reason why. So here's what I think the danger is behind tarot, even though I I like it, it's going to enable a lot of shit that we can't even think about right now. But why is it that we always go into stablecoins? Because this is, this is where my, I think the danger becomes. If we're not careful, we're just, I mean, are we just going to turn the Bitcoin network into uh, some kind of shitcoin enabling fest or stablecoin enabling fest where the Bitcoin network is instead of leverage for the token of value used to secure the network itself, that we start using other assets to go through that network that we hope remain secure, even though we might be draining value from the actual Bitcoin token, which again, is the token that is there. So people are incentivized to protect the fucking network. We have to think about these things in an adversarial nature. Otherwise we're gonna get hosed. We are 13 years old, people. We are 13 years old. When you think about it, if you're a Bitcoiner, you are 13 years old. Even if you're eight years old, you are 13 years old because you have all the history of Bitcoin from the 13 years that it's been alive. So you are a 13 year old. Now think back to when you were a human being 13 years old. You know what the fuck you were doing? No, you didn't. You know how I know? Because I was 13 and I had no clue what I was doing. I had no clue about how to think about stuff. I had no clue about how to, oh, I don't know, look in the direction I wanted to start walking in before I started walking in that direction. You see the allegory here? We need to look first into the direction that we want to proceed to travel before we put feet in motion to get there. Otherwise, we have tendencies to walk out into traffic and do stupid shit. I'm not saying that this is bad. I'm saying that this raises some red flags about the way we're thinking about using tarot. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying tarot is bad. I think it's great. I honestly do. But the red flags come from how humans are digesting that technology and forming something different. And what are we digesting? We're digesting what 2000 years of shitty money. That's what we're digesting. Okay, I'll give you a thousand years of shitty money. A thousand, fall of Rome. Let's, let's just start with fall of Rome shitty money. All right, let's, let's do that. We've been digesting that. So that's ingrained into our conscious. And if we're not terribly careful, we're going to continue to bring that shitty idealistic money and pollute hard money with it. 
You've already seen it in the deleveraging events, not just the one that started in May with, you know, uh, what was it? Luna and Terra and all that shit. We've seen it before. We've seen it several times before. Loans, derivatives, that kind of shit. All we're doing is we're dragging in the legacy financial system, which for since the fall of Rome has basically been built on shitty, the shittiest money that we can possibly build. And we're dragging it with us into Bitcoin. You have to ask yourself, is that what you want? Because if it ain't what you want, my suggestion is to not do it. Let's run the numbers. CNBC, futures and commodities, flammable liquids are mostly up, except for natural gas, which is down 5%. Back down to $9.19 per thousand cubic feet. West Texas Intermediate, however, is gaining 3.6% to the upside, $93.66 a barrel. Brent North Sea likewise up 5.6% to $99.95. Gold is up, oh, 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 not cute, three quarters of a point to $1,761. Silver is up 0.81. Platinum is up 0.8%. Copper is up 1.2%. And palladium has fallen further by two, oh, sorry, one third of a point. Agricultural futures are mostly up. My God almighty, the corn, 4.09% to the upside. Wheat is two and a half up. Soybeans are 2% to the upside and coffee is 3% to the upside. We got the Dow, which is down 0.27% at this time. S&P is unchanged. NASDAQ is up a third. S&P mini is up 0.17%. Real money has got $21,449 as a price tag. 255,000 transactions in the last 24 hours. That's just over 10,000 transactions every hour on the hour with holy shit. 4.19 million BTC has changed hands in that last 24 hours. That's 174,000 BTC every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 16.38 BTC, a median transaction value 0.023 BTC or $500. Block times are very low, nine minutes and 14 seconds. 0.06, nope. 0.076 BTC is the reward on a per block basis and 11.73 BTC has been awarded in fees overall in the last 24 hours. With a 6.17% increase in hash rate, we are back up to 215.3 exahashes per second. Doge, I might as well go ahead and say it just for comparison, your shitcoin indicator as usual is Dogecoin, 0.068 United States dollars. I remember when it was 72 cents. Uh, you got hosed. Mate, well, you didn't get hosed. You didn't get hosed. But a lot of people that Elon Musk dragged into his little kingdom, yeah, they lost a lot of money. It wouldn't surprise me if class action lawsuit against Elon Musk doesn't come down the pipe. I'm just saying, watch for it. We have 4,332 transactions waiting on two blocks to clear. The market capitalization of $410.9 billion. That is 3.57% of gold's entire market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase a chunk of 12.3 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,129,604.67 of. And 4,337.7 of those are in the Lightning Network, valued at $97.4 million. Uh, with uh, that's being run over 17,198 nodes, sporting 85,375 payment channels, and 72% of all of that lightning traffic is being routed over Tor. Thank God. Uh, that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Check this shit out, man. Usually I try to get, you know, stories from Coindesk and, and Bitcoin Magazine and Cointelegraph and 
Bitcoin news and, and is, you know, a whole bunch of different places that I can, you know, get stuff. Sorry, dogs clicking his nails around. So if you hear that, that's what it is. Um, one of the outlets that I usually have been hitting for well over three years now is decrypt.com. And it's just fallen into such a cesspool. I'm going to read you four headlines. These are all in a row on their website and is why nothing from decrypt.com is coming to you today. Pudgy Penguin's Ethereum NFTs pump 83% as Meta Nansen execs join advisory board. Second one. Ex-OpenSea executive argues NFTs are not securities to dismiss insider trading charges. Number three, Telegram CEO proposes auctioning usernames and links as NFTs. Fourth and finally in the screenshot that I tweeted out, how Ethereum NFT lending service Bendow aims to solve its liquidity crisis. Decrypt has become nothing more than a standing shill for NFTs, lending, and derivative products, and that's it. There's no real news here. Yes, I did the Ben, the ben Dow story. That came from somebody else. It sure as shit didn't come from fucking Decrypt because I can't do it any longer. I will continue to look on Decrypt to see if there's any actual relevant Bitcoin news. But sadly, as of the last couple of days, there really hasn't been much but just pure, unadulterated garbage. And it's sad to see Decrypt go that way because honestly, for a long time, yeah, everybody had their issues with them and so did I because they weren't 100% Bitcoin. Fuck it, that's okay. I don't care. But this. When you turn into nothing but an NFT shill and stay that way after all of the harm NFTs lending and the derivative markets have done to people's wealth because they aren't sophisticated enough to dig a fucking hole in the ground for a latrine, yeah, they should be ashamed of themselves. Not just them, a whole bunch of other outlets should be ashamed of themselves too. I ain't exactly a big fan of Cointelegraph. Right, I'm not exact, and I certainly am not a fan of CoinDesk. Fuck those guys, right? But every once in a while, they have a good story about something that's relevant to Bitcoin. These guys at Decrypt, it's like they just anybody who's has anything to do with Bitcoin got shot in the head. I don't know, man. So what I'm asking for you to do because of this, if you know of a good news outlet. It doesn't have to be 100% Bitcoin, but as long as they've got some good relevant stuff about Bitcoin, please shoot me their link. Do it through Podcasting 2.0 and a Boostagram, or just DM me on Twitter or, or, or tag me in Twitter or something and say, hey, here's a site that I, sa- that I found that's a new site and they have good stories about Bitcoin. And I will start rotating them through, okay? So if you could do that for me, I'd really appreciate it because I used to get a decent amount of material from Decrypt and they're just not coming forth any longer. It's, it's really sad to see, but you know what? It is, it is what it is. Let's, um, let's do this one. FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried could buy out BlockFi for $15 million. BlockFi. Going to go on the block for 15 million. Let's find out more from Bitcoinist.com. Uh, written by, who's it written by? Uh, they don't have an author line on here. It's probably at the very end. <clears throat> Crypto exchange FTX is set to make the best buyout deal this year when it finalizes terms to acquire BlockFi, a crypto lending services platform that rose to prominence following the 2021 bull run. A new report has it that the floor price for FTX.US's acquisition agreement with BlockFi has been placed at $15 million, with the price tag increasing based on performance. According to people familiar with the situation, FTX.US may be granted approval to purchase BlockFi for the minimal price of $15 million. 
This figure is lower than the $25 million disclosed by CNBC in its report months earlier, prompting BlockFi CEO Zach Prince to tweet, I can affirm 100% that we are not being sold for $25 million. Yeah, because you're being sold for 15. The sale price is a far cry from the $3 billion value BlockFi obtained during a March investment round, wherein the company secured $350 million. <laughs> the initial purchase agreement was made public on July the 1st, when Prince acknowledged that $240 million deal was contingent on performance triggers and that crypto market volatility, including market development connected to Celsius and 3AC, had been a detrimental influence on BlockFi. Sources added that FTX US would pay $25 million more if BlockFi wins an important regulatory clearance from the US Securities and Exchange Commission by December the 31st of this year for Block. Fi Yield, a product that would drum up interest on depositors' cryptocurrency by, you guessed it, lending it out at higher interest rates. No pausing to say, did nobody learn anything from the last two months? Are memories really that bad? Are memories really that bad? Okay, granted, that stipulation was you know, they, they were doing that at the height of when yield was, was king. But honestly, you, to go forward with another lending product at this point is not prudent, in my opinion. Anyway, moreover, if BlockFi's client assets reach a minimum of $10 billion by October 2023, FTX US will pay an additional $100 million. FTX has reportedly agreed to pay a sum equal to a quarter of BlockFi's annual operating revenue up to a maximum of $100 million. Sam Bankman-Fried, the founder and CEO of FTX, is estimated by Forbes to be worth close to $20 billion, placing him at number 79 on the world's list of world's richest people. So buying out BlockFi shouldn't be a problem to the 30-year-old billionaire. 15 million bucks is peanuts to him. On June 27th, FTX granted 250 dollars in credit to BlockFi, maybe that's million. They'd say $250, but come on, dude. Whose operation has been severely hit by the ongoing Bitcoin market crisis? No, 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 it's not the Bitcoin market crisis. It's all you assholes out there that caused a lending, yieldify, and bullshit DeFi market crisis. Okay, it's not Bitcoin. Bitcoin didn't do this. This is what I was saying about the tarot situation. We are dragging our really twisted, sick, and immoral and unethical views on what money is into the world of Bitcoin, and it's going to rub off on all of us. You know, what it won't rub off on is Bitcoin itself, because the protocol is blind, deaf, and dumb. It can't hear anything, which is why I like it. But it's us. It's, we're, we're like a... Bitcoin's like the core of a nerve and we're the nerve sheath that protects it. But we're close to it. We're close to the core of the nerve that, you know, that passes all the electrons down that causes the nerve to actually do what nerves do. And when we get inflamed with our bullshit notions of what money is because of what we thought money was, we end up shutting off that conduit. Bitcoin will still be there. It's going to be how we protect it that makes all the difference. And we're not protecting it. We're not protecting it. These people like Sam Bankman Fried and the Yield Fi bullshit degenerate gamblers out there are not protecting money. They don't care about money itself. They care about what they can acquire with a short-term asset that they can get rid of to some other idiot. Sorry about that. Buying out BlockFi shouldn't be a problem. On June 27th, FTX granted $250 million in credit to BlockFi, whose operation has been severely hit by the Bitcoin market crisis. BlockFi has since reduced its headcount by roughly 20%, joining a larger number of other Bitcoin companies in reducing employment. BlockFi is not a Bitcoin company. It's not. And neither were the other companies. Last year, following an investment round, BlockFi was estimated to be worth approximately $4.8 billion, and currently the company is being purchased for a steep discount of $15 million compared to its previous price. 
for all. Uh, I don't want to subtweet Peter. I'm just going to say it. Peter McCormick, please get rid of BlockFi as one of your advertisers. They're not. I know people get give Peter shit all the time, but honestly, I really need to see Peter ditch BlockFi as uh, as a sponsor. That really needs to happen. This shit show is just too horrendous to witness any longer. Again, those aren't BlockFi companies. FTX is not, or block, those are not Bitcoin companies. BlockFi may have used Bitcoin, but they are essentially a lending platform that got caught up in the yield fi bullshit. And so did all the other people. Again, because of what I said earlier, we're dragging our twisted view of what money was, not what money should be, but what money was and what money is today into the rabbit hole with us. And it's starting to stink like shit. Just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Let's see. AMM protocol pseudo rare disappears from the internet with 519 ETH. Yep. It's just going to continue. Cointelegraph, Arjit Sarkar has it. Pseudo Rare, an automated market maker protocol for ERC721 and ERC20 swap, suddenly shut down its services and social media accounts after making away with 519 Ether worth roughly 815,000 US dollars. A crypto community member, Sunjay Han, was first to point out a suspicious transaction that drains substantial funds off of Pseudo Rare using Looks Rare and USD coin tokens. A subsequent intervention from blockchain investigator Peck Shield hinted toward the possibility of a small-scale rug pull involving the loss of 519 ETH. Strengthening Peck Shield's suspicions, pseudo-rare decided to go offline from the internet, deleting all social media accounts and the main website, pseudo-rare.xyz, which now returns a 403 error, which is forbidden. Access to this resource on the server is denied. The following screenshots show the alleged funds what were equally divided and transferred to three different accounts, each receiving 173 ETH. While investigations into the matter are still underway, the disappearance of pseudo-rare comes as a reminder to investors to do your own research before investing in projects pitching unrealistic returns. A recent hack on Velodrome Finance was traced back to one of its team members, Garbageul. No, I'm serious. Garbage ool. G-A-B-A-G-O-O-L. Garbage. It's garbage. Who later returned the stolen funds worth $350,000? Garbage ool, too, released a note revealing various events that led him to attempt theft, which involved losing funds during the 2022 crypto crash. He added, quote, not much to say. I'm stupid, incredibly disappointed in myself, and frankly, unsure about what next, legally speaking. End quote. Velodrome is yet to take legal action against the crime and has revealed working with the legal counsel to determine the next steps. This, this, ladies and gentlemen, is why. Fucking maximalism, dude. Buy HODL a virus from Citadel21.com. I chose Bitcoin maximalism because I got fucked. I got fucked. Like an underage flight attendant on Epstein Airlines. I got fucked so fast, I don't even know who fucked me. I fell for the crypto scene and I got fucked for my naivete. Countless Bitcoin initiates receive their first fucking when they find crypto. Crypto is, without a doubt, the easiest way to blow your asshole out. Crypto is a den of serpents fucking each other for their own snake oil. It's a colossal crypto graveyard where the night shift manager secretly digs up corpses to have tea parties with before he fucks them to death again. Trust me, I know. I used to be at Crypto Contagion on Twitter. I got fucked hard. I thought I was the smartest guy in the room until I realized it was a studio apartment in Detroit. I played with stonks, options, forex, whatever exotic new flavor I could milk out of the ever-expanding Rube Goldberg machine cash cow we call the market. I was a classically overconfident and undereducated investor chasing gains and yield wherever I went. I was a prime target for bullshit. That's exactly what crypto feeds on. Fucking bullshit. Pure, uncut, unregulated bullshit. I smoked that hopium harder than Hunter Biden smokes crack rocks out of a hooker's asshole. I couldn't get enough. I was hooked. And I had no clue how much danger I was in. 
Everyone's a goddamn genius at the beginning of a bull run. Throw a dart, draw a Scrabble piece, or ask fucking Alexa. I don't know. Just pick a stupid ticker symbol and watch it 10x, 100x, 1000x. Step right up, folks. Place your bets. Pick your poison and win big with crypto. Of course, C-R-Y is capitalized, so it's crypto. Because I'm crying because I got fucked. But they don't tell you how the hot dog is made. Crypto is a poop tubed stuffed with putrid shit that nobody would eat if they really knew what was in it. Those fucking founders pay shitcoiners with shitcoins to burr shitty shitcoin articles ad infinitum ad nauseum. The fuckers fund their own market machine with money they create out of thin air. They hold the vast majority of coins, tokens, or cum rockets for themselves and reserve the right to alter the rules whenever they see fit. That's a recipe for a good old-fashioned circle jerk, and you're not invited. You're the biscuit. If a project has a CEO, team, or foundation, those people will fuck you. They'll fuck you as soon as they think they can get away with it. Crypto Brondo has the ponzonomics that cucks crave. Not just crypto, but fucking everything. Everything that humans can manipulate gets fucked into oblivion by those with the means, motive, and soulless lack of empathy. Hello, LIBOR. Do you blame the savages at the top? I don't. If I had the cheat codes, I would fuck up all sorts of shit. Ergo, it's imperative that no person or entity ever holds such power. We can't be fucking trusted. Power goes straight to the ego, which then manifests collectively as an oppressive regime or classic exit scam. Bitcoin has no front man. Nobody knows who Satoshi Nakamoto is. Those who do will take that suspicion to the grave. That's why Bitcoin is so special. There's no king fucktard at the top of the pyramid scheme shitting in the all-you-can-eat buffet. There's no head to hold a gun to if you want to change the rules. When you fall far enough down the shitcoin rabbit black hole, you come to a singular, obvious, and painful conclusion. You got scammed. It's all the same assholes shilling the same shit every cycle. A promise. A promise that tomorrow will pump higher than today. If you only just believe, believe in the moonshot, believe the FUD, believe Bitcoin's not the greatest discovery since cavemen found fire. Their highly innovative team of shit devs solved all the problems that made a better blockchain. Faster TPS, stronger consensus, proof of stake, oracles, airdrops, ICOs, DAOs, DAPs, DeFi's, NFTs. It's all one big Byzantine fault tolerant, inoperable electric Boogaloo number two. The waves of vaporware come and go as the tide of Bitcoin ebbs and flows. There's no improving on Bitcoin without major negative trade-offs between decentralization, security, or scalability. Every single shitcoin has made concessions to compromise one of those three qualities. Bitcoin is the only exception. The foundation was set in stone like the first floor of a cathedral when version 0.1 was released into the wild. Bitcoin is a cryptographic juggernaut that will absolutely wreck your conceptions of what you think it is. All that's required is a little proof of work. Maximalists tend to provide the highest ratio of signal to noise because we aren't getting paid. We share our proof of knowledge for free because knowledge is the only thing that can set us free. That's why it's paramount to be toxic as fuck towards shitcoiners, scammers, and charlatans. We found Shangri-La. Why would we let crypto cucks dilute it with fuckboy coins? Bitcoin is the holy grail of information technology and worthy of being defended with weapons-grade toxicity. Toxicity is necessary to survive in an adversarial environment. We are the autoimmune defense against bullshit and we're not fucking around. We found the cure, a source code upgrade for human evolution. Anything that stands in the way of this great Bitcoin revelation will be labeled a shitcoin and flushed down the toilet as such. Shitcoiners fuck up the plan for human liber liberation by promoting seams that, sorry, I've got to, I'm going to pause right there. This dude is hammering it. And I love every sentence because he's right. He's absolutely right. He's causing to be me to be as foul-mouthed as Richard Pryor or Red Fox back in the day, uh, excuse me while I date myself, but holy crap, the guy is, this, this is why I Bitcoin, because I don't have to worry about what this guy went through. 
I don't have to worry about what all these people are going through right now. I don't have to worry about it. Okay? So let me try that sentence again. Shitcoiners fuck up the plan for human liberation by promoting scams that enrich founders and VC scum who pool the rug on noobs who might have otherwise found Bitcoin if they weren't blinded by bullshit. We don't want faster fucking transactions or Web 9 plus. We want to separate money and state. When the true aim of Bitcoin comes into focus, tens of thousands of shitcoins all blur together into the background. They become as irrelevant as 10,000 fake Satoshis, all trying to comically infect others with their syphilitic delusions of grandeur. When you see Bitcoin, you see the true enemy. It's not the shitlords of Altson, which means alt season. It's the central banking Leviathan that has ensnared the whole world with fiat. Bitcoin lets us fuck those fuckers harder than they ever fucked us because we'll hold like psychopaths until they're forced to buy at a price magnitudes higher than today. They are fucked because they don't understand how early we are. Bitcoin is a paradigm shift and they dramatically underestimate how tired we are of getting fucked. Bitcoin is unfuckable. China can't even fuck it. And China fucks everything. When you embrace Bitcoin, you can sleep soundly knowing the acolytes of Satoshi keep the fire burning 24-7, no matter how hard the forces of centralization try to fuck it out of existence. So walk confidently through the valley of crypto death and fear no rug pull, for Satoshi is with you. Do not limit your past crypto transgressions, for the path to maximalism is paved with the bones of shitcoins. When you find lost shitcoin sheep, be the shepherd back to Bitcoin. When you find shitcoin scammers, be the noose around their necks. When you find no-coin non-believers, take pity on their willful, willful ignorance. Blessed be the Bitcoin haters, for they shall get fucked the hardest of all. Holy crap. There's no way that anybody I've ever heard just said, you know what, we're going we're, we're gonna to garage band and like, like bottom of the ditch tell people what's actually going on more than this dude just did. Yes, it's replete with bad language. I get it. But let's be honest, people. At one point or another, we've got to face the truth. And this is what I've been saying this entire episode. If we continue to allow ourselves and others to bring their immoral, unethical, sick, twisted ideals of what money used to be and what it is today down into our den, then we're going to shit the very bed in which we sleep. It's on all of us to continuously call out the scammers and the grifters and the shit coiners, tell the no coiners as much as we can about how they're wrong. Without the no coiners, I think we should probably keep our hands off in so far as calling them names because they're will they're, they're just ignorant even if they're willfully ignorant they don't deserve what we have in reserve for the shitcoiners the scammers the grifters the ideologues the yield five bros those guys those guys are the enemy everything else is just it's just it's easy honestly these this is the hard shit because you're battling a thousand years of shitty money. A thousand years of shitty money, probably longer than that. But at least a thousand years of debased hard money. Oh, we found gold. Oh, I know, I found lead. Hey, let's melt them together and get some shitty money. Man, I mean, that shit was probably done way farther back in time than anybody could possibly imagine. But as we are at 63 minutes and 37 seconds, We're going to cut this one short. Coming back to you with a dad joke. Okay, finally, I remembered to put up a dad says jokes. And this is from dad says jokes on Twitter. I had a happy childhood. My dad used to put me in tires and roll me down hills. Those were good years. Feels good, don't it? 
Certainly does. Certainly does. All right, guys, again, if you want to support the show, podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. Use my favorite podcatcher app that supports podcasting 2.0, which is Fountain. Fountain app. That's right. Fountain app. No, they're not a sponsor. I have no sponsor. Nobody loves me. Anyway, use Fountain app. Give me a boostogram. I'm going to start reading them on air. Why? Well, because everybody else is doing it. So why the fuck not? Other than that, that's the way to support the show. I mean, you get your message on the air. Don't, 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 don't do to me what, what y'all do to Marty, where you make him read like, you know, a hundred thousand digits of pie, please. Okay. Because I'm just not, he's got a lot more grace than I got when it comes to that thing. But no, I'm not going to ape your shit coin. I am not going to sell your NFT. I'm not going to shill your, your website unless it's a good website or product or service. Hit me up. But if you're a scammer, understand if I don't get back to you, it's because I deemed your shit as a fucking scam and I'm not going to read it, but I will take goddamn Satoshis. I'm just saying, be cool about it. And I will read stuff on air. If you want to like announce your child's birth, hell, I'll do that. You want to announce your wedding? I'll do that too. You got a product that you think is good? Shoot it to me with a boostergram. I'll look at it. Make sure that you send me relevant links and stuff like that. But this is a good way to support the show. And in a way, it's a good way for me to be able to support you guys by reading your messages on the air. So pick your messages carefully. What do you really want to say? You want to boost me 50,000 sats? Take time to say, well, what, instead of just saying welcome back, which I, I appreciate, by the way, tell me something I don't know. Tell me something you think the world doesn't know. Anything. Do that, and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.